in one hand, it's like really, really cool that like so many marketing avenues are now open for you to tell the world about your fundraise, but also your company. It's like a marketing campaign for the company itself, as well as like raising capital. So that's really cool. But then also like it takes work. And so coming into it with your eyes open that, yeah, if you want to raise a million dollars here, it's probably going to be like require some focus and hustle and creative ideas and executing on the campaign, which we help you with, but you got to kind of commit to it. This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. Better products, better brands, better leadership for a better world. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, and today we're speaking with Johnny Price, VP of Fundraising at WeFunder, a platform that lets the average person invest in companies they love and helps founders raise capital while recruiting an army of brand ambassadors. So yeah, my name is Johnny Price. I'm the VP of Fundraising at WeFunder, which is an investment crowdfunding platform based in San Francisco, although I live in Nashville, Tennessee, as of a year ago. Been at WeFunder for three years. Before that, I led the US team of a nonprofit called Kiva.org, also in the crowdfunding for entrepreneurs space, originally from UK, and now the proud dad of three young kids here in Nashville. So that's me. Nice. That's a beautiful update. Love that. Thanks for coming on the show. I was going to kick off with some professional questions, but now I just have to ask, you moved to Nashville a year ago, so that was kind of in the middle of the pandemic. What spurred that move? Yeah, so my wife is from here. So her parents are here and they're helping look after our kids. We had two young kids in this tiny apartment in San Francisco. And, you know, we just wanted more space and especially with the third on the way. And then during the pandemic, so we kind of wanted to move out here long term. And then in the pandemic, all the amazing bars and restaurants in San Francisco were closed. All of our lovely friends were not hanging out. The office of WeFunder was remote. And so we were like, "Mm, let's just accelerate the timeline here. So we actually, we decided one Sunday, I think it was Sunday 15th of May, we decided let's move. And then two weeks later, uh, we were on a plane <laughs> and we packed made up it happen. Uh, yeah, it was a very, very rapid uh, decision and move. And it, I think it's good. We're loving it here. It's been a weird time to move with the pandemic, but we have a much larger house and space for our kids to run around. So we're loving right. the natural vibe. That's awesome. Yeah, I did basically the same thing. I was in an apartment, tiny apartment in downtown Seattle. But we took our office remote. I moved down to Olympia, got a house with beautiful, like forested property with a salmon stream in the back. And it's just like a whole different life. But like, you know. Salmon stream. Oh, that's taking it to a new level. I feel like that was definitely a one upping of my, you know, big house. You're like, well, I got a big house and a salmon stream. (laughs) Well, you got a cool town too. Olympia's, you know, it's 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 not bad, but it's it's not Nashville. (laughs) But anyway, that's fun. I keep hearing of a bunch of. COVID moves. So it's fun to hear those stories. But uh, you also mentioned kind of some work earlier in your career with Kiva. I was really intrigued by that. Obviously, a pretty recognizable name in in the finance world. I saw that in your uh, LinkedIn profile, you were something like the director of Kiva US and something about Zip Pilot Program. Can you talk to us a little bit about what all that is? Yeah. So I started my career in management consulting and did that for a few years and then went to volunteer on a sabbatical from Oliver Wyman. And I went to volunteer in San Francisco 
I was in the Oliver Wyman London office, but flew to San Francisco and volunteered for Kiva for five months as like a nonprofit fellowship. And then I went back to consulting. And two years later, I left consulting and came to Kiva full time. And I got to know the team when I was volunteering in 2009. And then in 2011, Matt and Premel, the CEO and president, were looking at launching this pilot program called Kiva Zip. Uh, and this is a little in the weeds, but normally the way Kiva works is there are these microfinance institutions on the ground that help administer the loans. And so you see a $500 loan to a farmer in Uganda. And, you know, she's going to be crowdfunded by 20 individual lenders on Kiva lending $25 each. But in the regular Kiva model, there's a, an intermediary, a middleman, this MFI that kind of does the due diligence and administers the funds. And so the Kiva Zip pilot that we launched in 2011 was basically cutting out that MFI middleman and lending that $500 directly to the farmer in Uganda. We launched it in Kenya in the US, which with the benefit of hindsight was one of the more insane decisions in the field of business ever made. <laughs> like software engineer and we're trying to design a product for customers that are, you know, farmers in rural Kenya and also, you know, a taco truck owner in San Francisco. <laughs> it's like not exactly following Peter Thiel's advice in zero to one to start with a super concentrated customer base. So that was a mistake. But, you know, we were using M-Pesa, which is a mobile payments platform in Kenya to deliver that $500 directly to that farmer's mobile phone. And they would then make, you know, repayments every week that we would then send back to lenders the 20 lenders around the world who made that loan. So we launched in Kenya and the US. A few years later, we shut down the Kenya side and came to focus on US and we rebranded Kiva Zip, which is the pilot. We rebranded it as Kiva US. And I kind of founded that team and led it for seven years through 2018, at which point the new CEO of Kiva decided to kick me out, which was an interesting wow. moment of my career. I had never experienced something like that before. But yeah, super proud of what we did. We made 5,000 in the US side, we made 5,000 loans to small businesses, entrepreneurs, 75% were to women, 75% were to entrepreneurs of color. Median household income was 45K. We were really trying to expand access to capital for kind of risky early stage businesses and low moderate income entrepreneurs. And they were crowdfunded by lenders. They were all 0% interest loans. And it was a really, really good thing that we did. I'm super proud of what we did. Kiva's a nonprofit. But then in 2018, yeah, it was a, a tough situation. It was a weird kind of experience to go through, but ended up that brought me to WeFunder in early 2018. And very, very, it's an awesome example of something really, really good coming out of a, a challenging situation. It's been a very, very fun ride for the last three years at WeFunder. And I think it's about to get even more fun. Yeah, that's exciting. I want to dive into the WeFunder stuff too. But before we go there, I was also really intrigued by your role on the Community Advisory Council for the Federal Reserve. <laughs> I don't know if I've met anyone else who's done any Federal Reserve stuff. So tell me a little bit about what that role was like. Yeah, so one of the nonprofits that we partnered with, Akiva, who had a really good relationship with, this guy Bryce Butler at Access Ventures in Louisville, he kind of saw this position being advertised as like an open thing that you apply for. And he's just said, you should do that. You'd be really good at that. So I thought, yeah, that sounds really cool. So I applied to it and was super honored to get it. So it's a council of, I want to say like maybe 15 people who basically twice a year advise the, we would fly to DC pre-COVID. Uh, now it's virtual, but uh, we would fly to Washington DC 
and meet with the governors of the Federal Reserve Board, like Jay Powell uh, and Leo Brennan and, you know, the people. And uh, it will be like a, like a two hour meeting. And our job will be to basically give them kind of feedback and inputs from the communities that we were working with. So it's kind of a little bit more relevant when I was at Kiva versus WeFunder. But, you know, we're trying to kind of advocate for and just help the governors understand the perspectives of, you know, the low moderate income entrepreneurs that we were serving or the communities that, and so there's people on the council, most people are working for nonprofits, maybe like community development financial institutions, or maybe they're working in like affordable housing. There was representation from labor unions. There was representation from Native American tribes. There was representation from Appalachia, rural Kentucky. And so, you know, just trying to bubble up feedback because normally the governors, you know, are hearing from, you know, Jamie Dimon, right? And like the exact CEOs of like big banks, right? Who have their own agenda. And so they were also trying to get input from kind of communities. And so that was a role and it was, yeah, unbelievable honor and did that for three years, kind of rolled off, I think about six months ago. But it was, yeah, one of the most awesome experiences of my career today. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Such a cool opportunity. And it reminds me a little bit of the uh, 10,000 Small Businesses program. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if you're familiar with that. but Yeah, Goldman Sachs. Yeah. So I, I participated in that program, so I'm in on the alumni emails. But they're just constantly pulling together all the small business voices to like take right. those voices to the government and advocate for different things, especially when COVID hit. And there is all these, you know, funding and different bills coming up that exactly. they just wanted to make sure that the smaller voices were heard <laughs> along exactly. with the that big voices so that are always heard. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So then, as you mentioned, you landed over at WeFunder, which is a super cool business. I've actually participated in it myself, uh, invested cool. in company. So I'm excited that it exists now. But for those who don't know, can you walk us through a little bit about what WeFunder is all about? Yeah, absolutely. So WeFunder is a platform that allows anyone to invest in startups that they love. So normally when startups raise money, they are raising from accredited investors, rich people, basically. And with WeFunder, we allow ordinary people, the customers, fans, community members, friends and family of the startup founder to invest. And it's using this exemption called regulation crowdfunding that is relatively new law. It was part of the Jobs Act, which passed Congress in 2012. Our founders helped to get that through Congress. And then it took the SEC a few years to roll it out. The SEC rolled it out in May 2016. So since May 2016, startups have been able to a couple of new and pretty cool things in raising capital. The first is, as I mentioned, now they can raise from unaccredited investors as well as accredited investors. So rather than just 5% of the population being able to invest in you, now 100% can. And then the second thing is that you can publicly promote the offering. So you set up a page on WeFunder and then you can share that page on LinkedIn you can go on a podcast and talk about the fact that you're raising money or a clubhouse show, or you can get in the press. You can send an email blast to your 10,000 like people on your email list. And so it's just a tool that makes fundraising a lot easier for early stage founders. And now with some new law changes that were rolled out a few weeks ago, companies can now raise up to $5 million 
So the range on WeFunder is 50K to 5 million. And so that when I said earlier, it's going to get a lot more fun. I think the growth of WeFunder, I mean, we did 30 million of investment volume in, in March. So it's not nothing. Now it's like starting to become a, a meaningful business. But if I fast forward like a year or two, because the 5 million cap just rolled out and because now there's going to be more and more success stories and more and more buzz and WeFunder's investor base is currently a million and fast forward a year or two, it's going to be, you know, multiple millions. I think like this way of raising money is just going to become a lot more familiar to people and widely known and popular. And if you look at the UK, this kind of equity crowdfunding scene is a little further along. So the laws changed in the UK earlier and this is now, I think, kind of the dominant way of if you're an early stage startup, it's like very common, even almost expected to raise money from your early customers and champions, as well as uh, institutional VCs or, or angel investors. So, yeah, that's what we're up to. That's really cool. And I think it's pretty obvious for the consumer, we'll call it consumer investor, that you just go in and for a low amount, I think on the campaign I participated in, the minimum was like $100, right? So you can right. kind of get in at your platform. comfort level, which is great. Uh, that's amazing. Yep. It gives a lot of people who didn't have the opportunity to invest before to invest, you know, whatever they can. With that yep. said, for the business owner or the entrepreneur who's raising money, can you talk about maybe the complexity difference between raising money like a lot of little amounts of money from a ton of people versus raising smaller amounts of money from some like big corporations or venture firms? Is it a lot more difficult for them in any way? Does it dilute things? Does it complicate future rounds of investment? How does that work? Yeah. So no, it's relatively simple. We roll up the individual investors to one line on the cap table. So in 2017, 2018, when I first joined WeFundo, we couldn't do that. And so if you raise a million bucks from a thousand people, that's a thousand lines on your cap table, which made my job very hard. <laughs> in the last year, you know, we figured out a way to, to roll up in investors to one line on the cap table. And so now that just makes it a lot easier. And we use an SPV now, special purpose vehicle to do that, which kind of takes care of those kind of logistical questions that you're talking about. Like, so honestly, I mean, I'm biased, right? So take this with a pinch of salt, but from a kind of ease of raising money perspective, my kind of logical kind of argument is that, you know, if you're raising in a regulation D round and you're pitching accredited investors, you know, you can only pitch a, a small number of people and, and you kind of, you have to do that through private solicitation, getting warm intros and it's a lot of pitching. And then we fund a, now anyone can invest, you can publicly promote and, you have a web page where people can just go and like invest a thousand bucks without taking any of your time. And so, and also then you get in front of a million registered users on WeFunder, you typically account for a third of the raise as well. So if you put all those things together, I would argue it actually simplifies and accelerates the fundraising process for most people. If you have a VC that, you know, based on one meeting, right to a million dollar check, Maybe not, but like, sadly, that's a pretty rare exception. One kind of analogy I, or, or kind of point I made on a panel yesterday, which I, I kind of like, is that, you know, we live in the age, right, of Twitter. It's 2021, right? So the idea that the dominant way that startups raise capital is to pitch a tiny 
number of millionaires behind closed doors just seems unbelievably antiquated. And one thing that I kind of have a little bit of fun with, I mean, WeFunder is not like anti-VC, right? Like we have partnerships with VCs. I think like VCs are increasingly going to see the value of like their portfolio companies, especially consumer facing companies, like raising money from their fans who then become super loyal customers and ambassadors. And that's going to do good things for the revenue of the company, which is good for the VC. So we're not like anti-VC, but one of the things I kind of have fun with is like, VCs have gleefully, you know, disrupted journalism with Twitter, right? Or like hotels with Airbnb or kind of centralized platforms with decentralized democratized models. And now like this is the disruption of, you know, early stage investing through democratic platforms. This is like Twitter applied to finance, you know, Robin Hood's another good example, right? So that's, I feel like the zeitgeist that age we're in. It's going to be interesting like, whether VCs are kind of as uh, embracing of uh, disruption of VC as a sector as they were of the disruption of, you know, some of these other industries, which we'll see. Yeah, it's really cool. It's kind of like the Kickstarter to some degree of yeah. raising capital. Angel right? investing. Kickstarter for angel investing. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. So how are you seeing entrepreneurs use this is it normally their first ever round of raising capital is it are some people coming in on their second or third round and are they going for big amounts or are they using it for just investing in equipment what's the typical use case that's a good question and you know when i talk about venture capital and disrupting venture capital i mean you know this is only very very early rounds right this is the regulation crowdfunding exemption on WeFunder is capped at five million Right. There actually is a regulation A where you can raise up to 75 million. So that's maybe more around disrupting uh, venture capital. But the bread and butter of what we do on WeFunder regulation crowdfunding capped at 5 million is more disruption of angel investing and maybe like friends and family investing. So the range on WeFunder is 50K to 5 million. And honestly, like it's a great fit for companies anywhere in that. So there's a company right now live on WeFunder called Kelmix, CPG company, hair care brand. You know, went on Shark Tank, have a big, big following. Awesome black female founder, Kim, her husband, Tim. But I think she's raised now two and a half million in the last few days. And so, you know, it, Modern Times is a brewery in San Diego that was doing tens of millions of dollars in annual revenue. And they raised a million dollars in a day. Back when the limit was a million, they raised that million in a day by sending one email to their customers. So certainly it can be valuable for a company that's raising up to 5 million as part of a series A or, you know, a larger seed round. But also like I tweeted the other day, it's an absolute no brainer to do a friends and family round on WeFunder. Like I do not understand why you would not, where you would do a friends and family round not on a platform like WeFunder because, you know, it, there's one page that you just send people to, you know, it's a contract that's very clear. It's one line on the cap table. Someone can pay with a credit card. You know, you can use a standard template convertible note that Cooley Law Firm did for us, right? You pay us a fee is maybe the one kind of argument on the other side, but you can also get in front of WeFunds investors to juice it. You know, and so I just think it's a, it can be very, very valuable for founders right from the starting, you know, first 75K that they raise in a friends and family round all the way up to 5 million and with reggae even more. Yeah. I mean, I would 
gladly pay a fee in order to not have all that complexity of managing all that myself. Plus, you know, with, if you don't have great contracts and whatever, like family disputes or whatever else that could happen based on terms or something, like when it's all just locked in stone and it's like through a third party and and official. Wait, I thought I had that percentage. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wait a minute. That's not what I thought. Like one line on the cap table, you know, no, no worries there too. Yeah. So I, I know there's a few other, platforms like WeFunder out there, but I seem to remember seeing I something so. on no? I think we're the only one actually just Okay. Ahead. Well I've seen <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Never mind. That's the only one. <laughs> and I can't remember any of the other names of them yeah, right now. Because yeah, their branding must not names. be good. <laughs> but I seem to remember seeing something on maybe it was your social media feed showing WeFunder's uh share of the market of this space. And it looked like it was Pretty big, maybe the biggest share. Can you talk a little bit yeah. about where you fit in to the other non As long as non-mention. we remain number one, I'll be tweeting all day about it. As soon as we drop it, I forget to post on social that day. But yeah, no, I mean, there are other platforms too. Republican Start Engine are the, the second and third biggest platforms. And then there's a bunch of smaller ones as well. Yeah, I mean, Q4 market share of regulation crowdfunding, we had 41%, according to King Stroud, who tracked this stuff. And then Start Engine had 28% and Republic had 14%. It'll be interesting to see how that changes with the new laws. I think that presents a massive opportunity for kind of, you know, changes and kind of, you know, winners and losers. So we'll see how things evolve. But yeah, the last quarter of data that we have is 41%, 28%, 14%. Beautiful. I mean, it's always good to be on top, as you say, but... Yeah. With that, of course, you've therefore had more experience walking entrepreneurs through this process. So what do you feel like are some of the tips that you would give an entrepreneur who's looking to do some sort of raise through a crowdfunding platform? Yeah. So a few things. Obviously, you want to kind of make sure that it is a good fit and you're coming into it with expectations clearly set. And obviously, that's the job. And that's my job at WeFunder, right? So I lead the business development team here. So basically talking with founders at the start of the process and trying to make sure that they're coming into it with expectations clearly set. So for example, like I think I mentioned this earlier, on average, if you raise like 600 grand on WeFunder, you might expect 200 grand of that to come from existing WeFunder investors. So when we send an email to our user base, telling them about your company launching on WeFunder, the average is that you're going to raise a third of your campaign from stuff we do. And then two thirds in that example, 400K, you know, from new investors on WeFunder. And that might be an angel investor that you pitch and they invest 25K. That might be your mom investing. We had someone on our podcast, Adventure Capital, Renji, uh, the CEO of Immersed. And he gave the story of how his mom, like, drove $300,000 of investment into his first WeFunder campaign from just like, <laughs> telling everyone that she knew to invest in her son, which Go is mom. like one of my favorite WeFunder stories ever. So that would be another piece of advice is like get your mom to like promote your campaign. So the point is that, you know, on average, like two thirds is going to come from first time investors. And that might be people that your mom hits up, or it might be angel investors that you pitch, or it might be your customers that you send an email to, or it might be like you have an article in the press and people read that that you've never met people read that and then invest or it might be like as your 200 first investors come in you send an email to them and say hey i just we just did this update please can you share this on your social so then 200 people share it and then their networks come in and invest 
So the two thirds of first time we fund our investors is basically as a result of all the marketing and, and stuff that the founder is doing, not necessarily people in their first degree network. But so trying to set expectations that like, you know, for an average campaign, and it might be higher or lower depending on a bunch of factors, but normally you're going to have to do work to bring people to invest in the campaign. So kind of going into it with your eyes open, expectations clearly set, obviously putting together an awesome campaign page. Our team helps you to do that. Try to put your best foot forward to potential investors, you know, coming up with an awesome fundraising strategy. Our team works with you on that. Obviously, we've got a lot of experience and have some great resources in terms of helping you put together that strategy and then bringing your A game in terms of hustle and execution, right? And so reaching out to every journalist, you know, reaching out to angel investors, taking those calls, you know, emailing people that you know individually to hit them up, posting on social, engaging with investors as they come in. Like in one hand, it's like really, really cool that like so many marketing avenues are now open for you to tell the world about your fundraise, but also your company. It's like a marketing campaign for the company itself, as well as like raising capital. So that's really cool. But then also like it takes work. And so coming into it with your eyes open that, yeah, if you want to raise a million dollars here, it's probably going to be like require some focus and hustle and creative ideas and executing on the campaign which we help you with, but you got to kind of commit to it. So these are some of the tips I would say. Great. I mean, it obviously takes work on the campaign, build out the page and raise awareness, but compared to maybe the venture capital model where you're having to get introductions and pitch a bunch of different people to see if there's even a fit and maybe that takes a year or something to, <laughs> to find find the money you need. Whereas on WeFunder, it takes work, but you might be in and out quicker and overall, you know, reach success more easily, potentially, it sounds like. I would argue that in almost all cases, it's going to be easier to raise the money on WeFunder because you just have so many more things that you can do. And whatever you would be doing in terms of like meetings with investors, you can still be having those meetings. We lower the barrier to entry. So maybe if an angel investor would say no on a 25K check in a Reg D, maybe you can persuade them to say yes on a 5K check. You get in front of WeFunder investors. So yeah, I would argue generally we'll, we'll help you push the gas pedal on the fundraising. Plus, so that's like one big value proposition to founders, right? It's like we help you raise more money more quickly. And then the other big value proposition we kind of touched on it is like, you know, this is going to recruit you an army of champions and brand ambassadors and people that can maybe help you, you know, hire for a position that you're looking at hiring for or make an introduction to, you know, Whole Foods buyer that they know. So you can go on the shelves there. So, and then a third value proposition, which is a little bit more kind of touchy feely, but we fund as a public benefit corporation and we're a pretty mission driven organization. So, this is like kind of motivating for us as a team. And I think more and more founders are kind of considering this. It's like if you build a big company, right, and you get acquired, you know, down the line and will have an exit, you know, and kind of build a big company, it's like who do you want to create wealth for, right? Like a bunch of rich people that you don't really know that well or like your earliest supporters and customers and community members. And, you know, that's pretty low down, I would say. And like why do a WeFunder campaign? But 
for I think a growing number of founders that's kind of increasingly resonant. Yeah, that's beautiful. A couple other technical questions. So if a founder is more used to the kind of venture capital method of putting together pitch decks and stuff, how do you think a WeFunder page is different from that since they're probably need to give similar information, but it's to an audience who doesn't know as much about how to invest in a business? Yeah. So again, I would, I'm biased, but Absolutely. Do a pitch deck, right? Then click a button and we upload the pitch deck to the WeFunder page, right? So you have the pitch deck. But now you can also do a video, right? And you can also, you know, kind of write a story in more narrative form for anyone that wants to digest information that way. And then you can also, you know, do a bunch of social media posts and you can also come up with like a, a drip kind of email campaign. And then you can also like as the campaign is going on, you have updates, right? So we just closed a great customer. Or we just like had our best ever revenue month, right? Or like we just rolled out this new product and these are updates that you can then send, right? So I didn't really think about this before, but like, you know, when you're pitching VCs, you send the pitch deck, it's kind of a static thing, right? Whereas with the WeFunder campaign, you have the pitch deck, but then it's kind of dynamic and there's like a kaleidoscope of kind of, you know, marketing and kind of pitches that you can layer in it's almost like a drip marketing campaign that you can run over weeks or months, which I would argue, again, kind of <laughs> helps to make it a more compelling pitch to potential investors. Yeah, I seem to remember that the campaign I participated in also had some like, reward tiers or something. Like if you invest a certain amount, you get X, Y percentage off of products or you maybe get like a little promo package or you know different things like that. For that- CPG companies are like discounts. Yeah. So it's like, okay, for an investor, maybe if you invest, you know, a certain tier, maybe it's like if you invest $2,000, then you get a 20% discount code, which, and hopefully your variable margins are like high enough so that with a 20% discount, you're still like making money. And so not only does that bump them up and now you raise $2,000 in capital, but then hopefully they spend more money with you on the product and like you're driving more revenue and profit long term because you're giving a discount code to this like now owner of the company who's like super passionate about the company. So it's all kind of coming together. Okay. So you've talked about the size of funds raised on the platform, but is there a size of company that this is right for? Like, are you seeing big companies that are doing like a hundred million in business using WeFunder or is it more of the, you know, 50 million below companies? Like what's the sweet spot? Yeah, it tends to be earlier stage, just going up to like $5 million raises. I mean, we can do 5 million as a part of a larger round, but you know, the average raise historically has been 350K with the increase in the cap to 5 million that we expect that to go up a little bit. So let's say it's 500K, you know, you maybe you're giving up like 10, 20% of a company so the average valuation might be kind of, you know, 3 million to 7 million kind of range. You know, modern times is the brewery I mentioned earlier. I think the valuation was 254 million, you know, and they raised a million dollars on 254. So we've certainly worked with much larger companies. And obviously, like, if you're a large, especially consumer facing company with a big audience, this is what's happened with Kermix. Like they have a big audience they communicated to that audience and boom, they're raising millions of dollars very quickly. So it certainly is even easier to raise some money if you have a big audience of customers that love your product and then you just tell them, hey, you can own a piece of the company 
and great, that can help the fundraising go more quickly. So that is really the sweet spot for WeFunder, but it can also, but the app, you know, the, if you look at the average company, it's going to be kind of earlier stage, you know, 5 million valuation kind of a little bit earlier in the journey. That makes sense. So maybe the bigger companies are doing it almost more for the engagement with their customers and building those brand ambassadors. And, you know, it's nice to raise a little bit of money too, but for the younger companies, it's more critical cash to, to scale the brand. Exactly right. Like I think modern times didn't need the money. They just thought it would be really cool to give their most passionate customers a chance to own a piece of the company that that would do good things for their brand and their revenue growth. I think that's right. Beautiful. And again, you are biased, but I'm curious <laughs> with somebody with a background in finance, what do you feel like the future looks like moving forward with platforms like WeFunder? Like what does the future of financing and entrepreneurship look like? And, you know, as part of that, maybe I saw that y'all have a bunch of Y Combinator projects that anyone can go and invest in, which is pretty unique. I've also saw an article, I think that you were quoted in, or maybe you wrote or something like that, that mentioned kind of democratization of finance to make things a little bit more equitable. So maybe, you know, what do you see as the future? Yeah, I would probably kind of maybe speak a little narrowly to kind of early stage investing and we fund there and what we do, because that's what I know most about. But yeah, I really think this thing is going to grow now. The 5 million caps, as well as a couple of other things. So now we can use special purpose vehicles to roll investors to one line on the cap table. It's a thing called testing the waters that allows companies to basically start raising money in a matter of days rather than you know a month. And so there's going to be more and more success stories. This is going to grow now very quickly. And I think that's cool. And I work at WeFunder. Like, as I mentioned, we're at PBC and a B Corp with a, a clear mission at wefunder.com slash charter is our public benefit operation charter. There's kind of two sides of our mission, right? One is founders and one is investors. So on the founder side, we believe that if we allow anyone to invest in startups they love, that's going to be more capital flowing to startup founders, more entrepreneurs being given the capital they need to take their shot at starting the company they dream of starting. And lack of access to capital has, over the last few decades, been a challenge to many people doing that. And so we hope we can solve that challenge and get more you know, capital flowing to early stage founders. And then also within that, not just in aggregate, but right now, I always give these stats that 1% of VC goes to black founders, 3% goes to female-only founders versus 80% to male-only founders, and 77% of venture capital goes to three states, California, New York, and Massachusetts. And so our vision for a more democratic approach to angel investing, early-stage investing, is that if we empower more women of color in Tennessee, where I live, to be investors for as little as $100, um, rather than making it illegal for them to invest in the coffee shop down the street from them, then we can get more, I would say, equitable allocations of capital happening and more capital flowing to women of color, you know, outside of San Francisco, New York City and Boston. So that's kind of on the founder side. And I think that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So I think regulation crowdfunding is going to massively grow. That's going to be more capital flowing to founders. We believe that we funded that's a good thing. And then within that, more capital flowing to founders that have historically been underrepresented. And I think that's great for kind of geographic dispersion of startups and wealth, as well as kind of by gender and ethnicity. 
And then on the investor side, it's enabling everyone to participate in the wealth that is being created by startups. So like I give this one story of Jason Calacanis who invested 25K in Uber and made 125 million in their IPO, which is a 5,000 extra return. And it's like, imagine if that 25K had been shared around 125 people making $200 investments in Uber's WeFunder campaign, that would be 125 new millionaires versus one existing millionaire now having 125 million more. So, and there's a double-edged sword there because investing in startups is super risky. And so a lot of people on WeFunder are going to lose their $100 because, you know, most startups are going to go to zero. So it's definitely not like, you know, do you want to flag the risks here? And not everyone on WeFunder, sadly, is going to get a 5,000 extra return on every investment, but enabling ordinary people to participate in those explosive upside potential investment opportunities um, we is kind of a big part of why we do what we do. And so, yeah, I think it's going to grow. It's here to stay. That's beautiful. I love it. Anything that will make the world a bit more equitable and maybe help to some degree narrow the wealth gap in this country and maybe other countries, I think is a great step forward. So <laughs> appreciate. Why should millionaires have all the fun gauge? Yeah, exactly. The rest of us should get some fun and some of the money to go with it too. Yeah. I dig it. Yeah. We need some fun, us non-millionaires. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Although you have a salmon stream, so I yeah. don't know. Like, uh, that was the some fun. You know. don't come cheap from what I've heard. <laughs> well, during the salmon run this past like winter, it was really fun <laughs> to sit out there and watch, I have to say. Like just to yeah. to watch them battle each other in the stream. So I will acknowledge that privilege. It's, it's not everyone that gets to live with a salmon stream running in their backyard. So <laughs> love it. So again, thank you for doing what you do. Uh, appreciate you coming on the show to share a little bit of wisdom and insights with the audience. And yeah, take care. Happy Friday. Thank you, man. This was fun. Thanks for listening. We're always experimenting, so please let us know if you like this shorter episode format or if you prefer the longer conversations. If you'd like to learn more about Linwood, Matt, or their company, go to subtledistinctions.com. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Johnny or his crowd capital platform, go to wefunder.com. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up, or review, and share it with your colleagues. As an ever-evolving show, we also love feedback, so send us ideas for who we should talk to next at evolve@modernspecies.com and learn about our new online community for brand leaders at evolvecpg.com. See you next week.